Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. So, uh, I'm Pastor Mike, so if anybody doesn't know me, I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church. I usually teach school of ministry and uh, men's, and so we'll be back in men's soon here on Wednesday night, probably in September, and we're just going to continue. I think the women are doing Jeremiah and the men are doing Jeremiah. We'll just continue on uh, with that, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. So where we're at, uh, Lester taught last week, and he was talking about the restoration that God does in someone's life, and the week before that, Matt was teaching on... Uh, the backslide or the the person that won't repent. And, and actually, when we get to Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, G- when we look at it, God is continuing that conversation from chapter 2. And, and you have to understand the Assyrians had, had taken the ten tribes of Israel and, and God was using them as an example to draw Judah away from their sin and trying to send them a message to, re- to repent. And, and, uh, and they wouldn't do it. And so as we get into this message tonight, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the incoming or the oncoming judgment that's going to happen when the Babylonians come. And he's going to share that. So uh, let's start with verse 1. It says, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord to me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord shall bless themselves in him, and him shall they glory. So first thing I had to ask myself is, you know, detestable things at that time, what were they? And so they would, they would uh, actually have idols that would be made out of blocks or stone that they would worship to. And it was usually gods like Dagon or, or Baal. Uh, and, and really, the, the, we understand that it's not... The thing that they're worshiping, the, the piece of wood or the, or the metal, it's actually happening in their mind. And, and uh, that's where the power existed. But see, the problem was, is with, it, with, uh, with Judah at this time, they were actually worshiping false gods. At the same time, they were playing, we love you, God. Right? Come to church and you... You know how, what everything to say, but you leave church and your life's a train wreck of sin. And that's what was happening here with Judah. And so we know detestable things in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make of yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in uh, heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or, or that is in the water under the, the earth. And so 
You know, the idols that he's talking about, uh, for instance, we remember in, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, when we look at, like, one of the idols that they had was called Dagon, and um, the Philistines had captured the, the Ark of God, and they, so they, they placed, uh, in, in verse 2, it says, the Philistines took uh, the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside uh, Dagon. There in 1 Samuel 5.2. And then from there, it says, And when the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Now that's not a big deal, right? It just got knocked over, right? And then the next day, it says, But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face down, downward, on the ground before the ark of the Lord in the head of Dagon, and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And it goes on in verse 6, because you think, well, that's just an idol. It fell. It broke, right? But that's not where it stops. The wrath of the Lord uh, is not going to have false gods around him because it says the hand of the Lord in verse 6 uh, was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And what do they do? They give back the ark. They're like, take the ark back. We don't want it. And so we see, you know, God is, is not wanting us to have false gods in our life. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Now, for us, we don't have many statues of idolatry. Some do in certain religions, right? But for us, we deal with modern idolatry. We deal with pride and self-centeredness or greed, gluttony. Maybe even love of our possessions or love of position of work. And we allow that to ultimately use, be used to be uh, to rebel against God. And it's a wonder that, that God hates it. But he goes on to say in verse 3 in Jeremiah 4, 3, it says, for, this, uh, for thus says the Lord to the man of Judah and to Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. So fallow ground is like the concrete that you walked in on this morning. That's how hard their hearts had become. And see, when we, when we actually think about repentance, repentance should actually bear fruit. Somebody turns from their sin, there should be, they should bear fruit. It says it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. It says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the question that everybody has all the time. Did they, did they come back and start following the Lord again? Or do they know Christ? Are they bearing fruit? Right? But we know what happens when the ground is, is fallow or filled with thorns. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 23. And it says, As far as what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They walk out of church happy, and yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
As far for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it, understands it. Indeed, he bears fruit, see, and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Jeremiah, it says that circumcise yourself to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And so God is wanting to operate on their hearts. Their hearts have become calloused. And, and the only thing that, that brings that softness to our heart is repentance and the Holy Spirit guiding us back to God. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the blood of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We put off the flesh. We know this happens in Ezra when we see Ezra in Ezra chapter two verses, Ezra chapter nine verses two through six. Uh, I'll kind of pull some of the verses out of here because of time because there's so much of it. Um, but it talks about the 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 sin that, that was going on, and and they were they were married. They had married daughters and mixed the holy race. They had married. They were they were told not to marry foreign uh, wives, and they did. They took daughters uh, daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race had mixed itself in the people of uh, the peoples of the lands. And in the faithlessness, the hands the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. And then it picks up in verse three of Ezra chapter nine, verse three. It says, "And as soon as I heard this." I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled, pulled hair, which, you know, are, are from my beard, and I said appalled. That's how bad it, for Ezra, he knew that they had sinned. And it says, then all who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the return exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until evening sacrifice. And see, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Do we tremble at the words of God? Do we tremble? Understanding that they are God's words. And so when we're disobedient, there's a consequence to that disobedience. And it, it requires repentance. And it says in there, it says in, in verse 5, it says, And in the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blessed to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. And so Ezra's crying out and reporting the sin. He cried out in prayer, confessed, and repented. But not just him, the people of Israel as well. 
You want to know why 2020 has been so crazy? Because we won't repent. When's the last time you asked God for forgiveness for the sins of our nation? Abortion. Racism's a sin. It's a sin. When have we actually got on our knees and actually prayed for our nation? We need to deal with the sin. Because that's what true circumcision is. It's not about outward religious activity. You know, we, we're very good at that. I'll pray. I know exactly what to tell you. But I'm going to just go do my thing. See, a, a person that, that is marked and, and belongs to Jesus Christ is one who worships God wholeheartedly and has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and understands that we have to have those softening of the heart. We have to have those heart-to-heart with God at times and confess our sins. And we get back to Jeremiah, and now the... the Things are going to change because now God is saying, look, here's what's going to happen. And I'm telling you this is going to happen with the hopes that you still repent. And, and anyone who doesn't believe the Bible, stay tuned and keep, keep with us through the book of Jeremiah. Because there's going to be prophecy after prophecy that was answered. All this stuff that's fixing to happen, it happened. And so when we see it in Jeremiah 4, 5, it says, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard. What is a standard? It's a flag. It's a flag. Towards Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. He's telling them this is going to happen. But it's too late because Judas has is, is allowed themselves to, to have a hard heart. The Holy Spirit is convicting them, and, or the Holy Spirit convicts us, and, and we have that warning there, and what do we do? We convince ourselves that the sin is okay. And you're not hearing the trumpet. See, we see trumpets used all the time, either to gather people or, uh, of Israel or to instruct them in battle that the enemy's coming. It's blow the trumpet. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on, a, on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it's near. See, you're the trumpet. This is where we have failed. God wants to use you as the trumpet because His Son is returning. And we should be sharing that, that, that Jesus is coming back for His bride. There's a great movie that Jack Hibbs had recommended that we watched and... Um, it's called Before the Wrath. 
And I would definitely recommend it to you. It's, it's on Amazon Prime. And it deals with the Galilean traditions and where Jesus was raised. And, and, and it talks about how the church is going to be taken up. And see, at Calvary Chapel, one of the distinctives that we believe is that we believe in pre-tribulation. That's what we believe in. Why would God leave His bride to be beat up? Right? And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a, with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, the thing is, is when I look at this and I think about that trumpet, one of the things they talked about in Before the Wrath is they used to blow the trumpet when they would have the wedding, the Galilean weddings. And it talks about the church being caught up, right? The trumpet sounding. But do you realize that out of those, those bridesmaids, five of them didn't make it? The ones that had the oil? There were ten, remember? Ten that knew that Christ was returning. And only five made it. And I'm afraid in the church there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be left behind because you're playing around. And you're not ready. And we need to be preparing people for the return of Jesus Christ. We have to. I mean, it's, it's as a church, it's something that we need to start to talk about. And that he's not coming back like a lamb. He's coming back as the lion. He's coming back to judge. God's wrath will be poured out onto this world. This is not your home. What's happened is a lot of Christians have gotten too comfortable. What I hear Christians talking about today is not serving in the church. They're just talking about making it to retirement. Spending time and enjoying my vacation and enjoying my life. There's no sense of urgency that Jesus Christ is returning. And we need to be prepared for that. And so Jeremiah is saying, hey, sound that trumpet. We need to be listening because it's coming. If You don't need me to tell you what's going on in the world to make you think that Jesus is not returning. You realize that one out of five people believe the apocalypse has started. They did a survey, one out of five. So guess what? That means that one out of five people believe that Jesus is returning. That they don't know that maybe it's because Jesus is returning. That this is not the apocalypse. This is just a trial run. It's going to get a lot worse. And we want to take as many people with us when we get caught up. And that's, that's the job of the church, to sound the trumpet. It, they think it's the pastor's job. Yeah, we will preach the word. But it's your responsibility to actually go and tell your neighbors, your friends, your family. That's why we do outreaches. That's why we had Ryan Reese here in January. That's why we did a youth retreat. It's an outreach. That's why we do the radio. It's an outreach. 
We would have done VBS, but COVID happened. But guess what? It's not canceled. It's just postponed. But it's an outreach. Our school of ministry year two students will have to do a what? Outreach to get the gospel out. See, we, we've all been commanded. In verse 7, it starts to talk about Babylon uh, and Nebuchadnezzar. It says uh, uh, in verse 7, A lion has gone up from the thicket, a destroyer of the nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. For, for this, put on sackcloth, lament, and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. So the coming assault is happening. The lion here is, a, is actually a reference to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And guess what? Spoiler alert. That happened. Prophecy. Is God real? It's right here. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. It's like we have to understand that, that, you know, and what's crazy is in, we're going to find out when we go to Jeremiah 36, Jehoiakim actually, and it says this in verse 23, it says the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire, in the, uh, in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the, in the fire that was in the fire pot. So basically what he did is he took... I'm taking Joe's thing here. What he did was he chopped up what Jeremiah had written and threw it in the fire. Sounds familiar? What happened in Portland? He threw it in the fire. It burned up the Bibles, right? It's, not, it's been done before. You're not going to stop the Word of God. He chopped up the scroll. He chopped it up and threw it in the fire, fire thinking that was going to invalidate God's word. Guess what? What happened in Portland, it's wrong. But it's not going to stop God's word. It's not going to stop God from moving. They need Jesus. Did you pray for him? Or did you complain about him? You see where, where this is at? Where we're messing up? In verse 9, it says, In the day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail both kings and officials. The, the priests shall be appalled, and the prophets astound. Then I said, Oh, ah, Lord, uh, God, surely you have utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, It shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. And, and one of the things he's talking about, and whoever has chapter 5, I'm not sure who does tomorrow or next Wednesday, They'll go over this, but in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. Wow. They were prophets of Baal. They were telling the people, everything's going to be all right. Nothing to worry about. The prophets falsify, uh, pro prophets prophecy falsely prophesy falsely and the priests rule at the direction 
My people love, uh, love to have it, so, but what will you do when the end comes? See, they were accusing God of deceiving them, but it was the prophets that did. They were telling people, hey, uh, we have the Ark of the Covenant. We have the temple. Ain't nothing going to happen here. You want to play a game? Let's play a game. How about December 31st, 2019? If I told you you had been in a lockdown, okay, and the churches would be closed for only online services, that John MacArthur would be threatened with arrest, that the churches in California would be threatened to have their power cut off, that the Supreme Court would rule against church service size and allow the casino to do whatever they want, you'd be like, no, that's, that's not, never happened in America. Look how quick things turn. And, and, you know, we need to wake up as a church because same thing here. The prophets are speaking. We have false prophets with us now. And sadly, what you can do is, because of these wonderful phone devices that we can have, you can feed your, your false prophecy however you want. You want to learn about prosperity? You can just listen to prosperity teachings all day long. You can follow Todd White. I guess he thinks, I don't know what's going on with that. I don't even want to go there. But that's, that's what's happening. And that's what was happening with Judah. God had been trying to reach them for over 100 years with this message. How long has God been trying to reach you about turning the thing around and stop doing it? And see, that's why it's important for us not to just allow the culture, because what's happened in 2020 is the culture's defining the church. You want to find a church that wants to, to be the justice, social justice movement? You'll find them. You'll find pastors preaching that mess now that have adopted it just like that. It's, it's sad, but that's what's happening. But you're supposed to be like Bereans. Y'all know them in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. As Calvary Chapel, this is what we expect from y'all. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. What if the power all went out, you'd have no charge on your phone? Could you actually find a Bible in your house? This is one of the things I thought about, and this is just a side note. I could have probably went into some Christian's home and grabbed their Bibles because they never read them, and they could have been burned in Portland. Right? Because there's a lot of Christians that don't. There are people that have the Bible app on their phone and don't even know they have it. I have that app. Wait a minute, I've already downloaded it. You ever heard that one? And see, so for us, what we're supposed to be doing is examining the Word with all eagerness because let's say we, we didn't have these devices. Would you be able to examine the Word on your own? To be in God's Word daily? 
That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Verse 10 says in Jeremiah 4, it says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived the people and uh, in Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached, the, uh, reached their very life. And at the time it will be said of this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind from a bare heights in the desert towards, uh, toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too full for this comes from me. Now it is I uh, who speak in judgment upon them. And so the wind he's talking about, and y'all know the, the verse where it's that you separate the wheat and the chaff. That's not what this is. This is a wind that's so strong it blows everything away. And that's what he's saying. When, when Nebuchadnezzar and the army comes, it's going to just take everything out. And anybody who's been in the desert, especially in, in Iraq, when those hot winds come across and those sandstorms come, it blows everything away. Everything. In verse 13 it says, Behold, he comes up like clouds. This is again talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the army. Uh, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And so we can think about this as the clouds. Just think about Corpus. Monday, they had a tropical depression. Wednesday, a tropical storm. Friday, a hurricane. That's how quick the, the clouds and the storms come in. Anybody who's been through any kind of hurricane, you understand how the clouds move so swiftly. And that's what he was talking about. And so he speaks how swift Babylon's plunder will be on Judah. And then he goes into verse 14 and he says, he's talking about washing our hearts, right? Wash your hearts. It says, Old Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? That's, that verse speaks to a lot of people today. We need to wash our hearts. Matt talked about this in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, he said, Though you wash yourselves and lie and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. In Psalm, 40, uh, Psalm 51, 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. In verse 2, it says, Wash me thoroughly for my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, we have to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Ask for Him to forgive us of our sins. And in verse 7, out of Psalm 51, 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Only Jesus Christ can do that. When you give your life over to Christ, when, when God sees you, you're covered in, God, in Christ's blood and, and God sees His Son. When you turn your life over to Christ, it's, it's man, it's, it's dealing with and understanding that we do sin, but we can go to our Savior and ask for forgiveness. And we understand the cost of the sin, so we sin less. And, and when we talk about washing our hearts, you can believe that uh, the bathtub wasn't brought into America until 1842. 
you actually had to have a prescription from a doctor to take a bath. Right? And in, in Philadelphia, they actually banned it. They made it against the law. And so they, they, for six months, you couldn't take a bath. But you know what's sad is a lot of Christians are the same way. They need a washing. They stink of sin. Unconfessed sin. The stench. And God is saying, just come before me and get clean. In John 11, chapter 44, we know about Lazarus, right? He says, the man who died uh, came out his hands and feet bound with linen stripes and his face wrapped uh, with cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. The unbinding was all the cloth that was on him as he laid there dead until he was resurrected. And some of y'all, that's what's happening as y'all are putting on those grave clothes. It's like you've asked God to come into your life and you've asked God to, to, so you live for Him and have a relationship, but you go back and you start doing the sin that you were doing before. This is what Judah was doing. You want to know why that, that the, we have such a hard time sharing the gospel? It's because of the witness that we are. Broken marriages, divorces. Christians. We, have, we got hypocrites that act one way. We got kids that see their family or their mom or dad and they're like, I've never seen a Christian in my life. Go to youth and you'll hear that. They're running from Christianity because of the witness that we are. And so we need to be washed. If you have unconfessed sin, confess it. That's why he's saying, how long shall you, your wicked thoughts lodge within you? How long will you allow? It's like hospitality, right? How long are you going to let those evil thoughts be welcomed in your home? You're hospitable to them. Come on in. And see, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, me and my wife were just talking about this before we came here. It's like God comes into your heart and he's, gonna, he's not remodeling. I mean, he's going he's gonna to completely redo everything. And that one closet that you think that God's not going to get to, he wants it. That sin that you think, well, that unforgiveness, that hatred, that, that, that um, pride... That addiction, God's saying, I need you to, that's that hardness of the heart. We need to wash that out. Because what you're doing is you're, you're harboring those thoughts here and allowing them to get to here. And that's why Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we know the verse. I mean, it, these are the things that, that always puzzle me. It's like Christians can spit this stuff out, but they don't live it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's, it's being in God's word. It's, it's actually taking those evil thoughts and 
and, and not accepting the temptation that's there and just saying, Lord, it says I'm supposed to have a covenant with my eyes. I don't want to look at those things. And you take that thought and you get rid of it. You don't allow it to, to make a home because that's where sin comes in. And that's what Judah was doing. Our old coach, and I'm sure you probably heard teachers say this before, rule your mind or it will rule you. Right? I had a coach that used to say that. When you wake up and do what you're supposed to do, what we've, what we've taught you to do. Where's your head at? Verse 15 says, For, the, for a voice declares from Dan, that's north of Israel, and proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim. Warn the, the nations that he has come and announce to Jerusalem besiegers, which are scouts. And you know that that, that happens. Uh, scouts that spy, Joshua chapter 2, verse 2 in Jericho. Uh, come from a distant land. They shout against the city of Judah like keepers of a field. Uh, and they are against her all around because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. And so the keepers of the field were people that would guard the fields from, uh, from animals and, and uh, from the enemy. And try to cut it off. But he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter that you're in the field. We're, you're surrounded. That's what's going to happen. When Babylon comes, you're, it doesn't matter that the keeper's in the field. And then I want you to notice the number of times it says your. In verse 18. Your ways, your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter, and it has reached your very heart. That's a hard verse to read, right? Because we actually know people that we love that have done this, where we go, man, you brought this on yourself, bro. You did this to yourself. What were you thinking? Or maybe we've been that. And see, Judah, it, it, you know, they can't pass blame. And neither can we. And that's the first thing we do in this world is we try to put the blame on somebody else. And we don't, we don't look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what, it was me. God searched my heart, root out that issue. Get rid of that sin. Now we go to verse 19 and it switches gear because this is Jeremiah and this is the anguish that he's going through. In verse 19 it says, My anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain on my walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. My anguish in Hebrew is actually to fall grievously with pain, of fear, great grief. And that was the heart of, of Jeremiah. It pained him. It pained him. And so when he ministered publicly, he was bold before men. But when he ministered privately, privately he was broken before God. It pained him. It pained him. 
From Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. See, that's the verse we want to hear all the time, right? There comes a time when God's wrath comes. And God takes no joy in it. You know, the heart of God is, is for someone to come to know his son, Jesus Christ. But what happens is they reject salvation. It should pain us. It should pain us when we look at this world and see how many people are lost that need the gospel. It should pain us that, that people actually reject his son. For what his son went through. The love that brought Jesus here. And yet we choose to follow false gods. And it goes on to say, I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Anybody remember what the, the main verse is for the book of Romans? Go ahead, Miss Sandy, give it to her. Come on. Romans what? Chapter... What was the main verse that Joe gave for the, for the overall book of Romans? It was Romans chapter 1, verse 16. See? For I am not ashamed of the gospel for the power it is, for it is the power of God for salvation for, uh, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the trumpet sounding, the war is coming. It's here already. And see, what happens is we are, instead of having pain for the loss, what we do is we try to, and I've done this, so I'm, I'm not trying to act like I've, I haven't had to, me and God haven't had some talks about this. Mask or no mask. Right? Do we try to win an argument online over that? Because I have. Am I winning anybody to Christ? Nope. Political discussions. Left or right. You know? Are we trying to, should it pain us that, 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 that we can see that, that through their, their, their protest and all the stuff, they're lost. They need Jesus. But are we trying to win an argument? See, sharing the gospel is actually, I mean, we're supposed to preach and go make disciples. This is a command. 
but what happens, I think, what we do is in, instead of trying to win souls for Jesus, we're trying to be self-righteous and condemning. And, and I can say I've done this. And I, I've had to ask God for forgiveness of it. See, Christians believe that they're doing the same thing that, that Judah was doing, saying all the right things, but they were giving themselves over to their flesh, giving themselves over to their false gods. You know what the youth are learning right now? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read some of it to you. I'm looking at my time. I'm going to have to hurry. We'll get moving here. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And it goes on to say that in, in, in verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, And he gave, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood to the measures of stature, of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in, uh, into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. Love. We have to start, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of us have the same views, and, and, but we have to look for that unity. We have to look for ways to share the gospel in love, to share it with truth, to, to be able to, I, I believe, like, you should be sharing stuff about end times. And then share the scripture that goes with it. Because it's going to happen. Jesus' return is going to happen. And that way, hopefully, it opens up a conversation on, hey, what do you mean this is, this is in the book of the Bible? Yeah. Because if one out of five people are believing the apocalypse has happened, that's a great way for you to share the gospel. To share that Jesus is returning. We cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, but... At the end of the day, I think sometimes Christians would be grabbing a hold of their stuff and like, I'm not, I don't want to leave yet. Right? We have to have a loose, thing, loose hand on the things of this world. Verse 20 says, crash, uh, follow hard, hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste. My curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Again, the standard... The rally point, the flag, the trumpet again, uh, the sound that would meet. That would be the sound that they would tell everybody to come together so we can get everybody their weapons and get them prepared. 
And, and at the same time, we need to let people know that there's an expiration date on this world. There is. Verse 22, this is a hard one. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise and doing evil. But how do, how do good they know not? How to do good they know not. There are four reasons why judgment is coming. Foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid. They lack understanding. The Lord describes us children. But when he describes them, he describes them as clever and doing evil. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're that defiant child, that rebellious child that you think you're getting away with what you're getting away with. Because men love darkness more than they love light. And God's going to bring it to light. He, he, he'll, he's patient. He's patient. But what he wants is you to have a submissive heart as a child. He wants you to know the Lord, to be submissive to Him, to know the characteristics of Him. Instead of you're acting like a childish, you're acting like a child. And you're being defiant. You're determining that you want to have your own way regardless of God's will. And see, we all need to learn grace to bow before our Father with humility and sincerity. And say, have your way with me, Lord. Verse 23 says, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form or void in the heavens, and they had no light. The chaos was coming, and um, the chaos is, is described. And, in, and it's also in, verse, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But make sure when, you, when you're looking at this, because some people will argue this is a gap theory thing, it's not. This has to do with Judah. They're taking it out of context. And all. it's a, a theological debate that happens over wonderful. That's the thing. There's a lot of theological debates instead of people just sharing the gospel. Right? That's what we need to be doing. Verse 24, I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking. And all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man. And all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was the desert. And all the cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it says, Looking for the hasting, uh, the coming of the day of God, because of which heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which the righteous dwell. And so even the stable mountains were shaken. Verse 27, it says, For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will, I will not make a, a full land. He's not going to end everything right here. Because why? Jesus has to come. Right? And for this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark, for I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I, will I turn back. 
And so in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, it says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and, and a former thing shall, come, shall not be remembered or, or come to, into mind. And what he's talking about is like, we see in verse in, in Peter there that everything's going to be destroyed and burned up, right? But we see here in Isaiah that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you won't remember this stuff. The pain that you're going through, all this stuff. You know, no more tears. No more illness. No more sin. And all, it's got, all God is asking them to do is to repent. And what will he do? He relents. Verse 29, at the noise of the horsemen and the archer in every city take to flight, their inner thickets, they climb among rocks. All the cities are forsaken and no man dwells in them. And you, O desolate one, what do you mean? That you dress in a scarlet, that you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint in vain, your beauty yourself, your lovers despise you, they seek your life. And see, in Hebrews, this is actually portrayed as... Uh, as and, and actually, as the, uh, the pronouns are used in this, this is actually uh, the way it's used is it's portrayed as an adulterous wife trying to allure her lover or false gods. I think in Ezekiel chapter 23, there's another verse that covers uh, something like this in, in the same way. It, it talks about Assyria. She bestowed her whoring up upon them the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with their, all their idols and everyone after whom she lusted. They looked for those idols. In, in verse 31, it says, For I cried as a woman in labor, anguish as one giving birth to her, her first child, and the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for the breast, stretching out, the hand, out her hand, Woe! Is me, I am fainting before murderers. And we know in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, uh, when we see the woman cried in, in labor, uh, it says to uh, the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, you shall desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then the stretching out of hands. It talks about the, uh, in, in verse 31, it talks about how the stretching out of hands, woe is me, I am fainting before murderers. And what that is, is this procrastination. She finally throws her hands up to surrender to God, but guess what? It's too late. Because when we get to chapter 5, everything's going to start moving. And so what do we get from this verse? From these verses, actually, what is application for us? Is your, is your heart fallow? Is it as hard as the cement that you walked in on? If it is, you need to tend the soil, right? Anybody in Texas know you've got to do a lot of work to get something to grow here. In Hawaii, like that, it'll grow fast. That soil's good. But here in Texas, you've got to really work the soil to get something to grow. 
But see, if your heart is fallow, are you ready to do surgery on it right now? If there is sin there, are you ready to do surgery on it right now? Lester, you can come up. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry, bud. Yeah. The other application, when's the last time you washed your heart? What is, what is it when we're supposed to pray? Right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If we pray every day, confessing sin should be something that we do. Because guess what? We sin. If you tell me you don't sin, I'll put you in traffic out here. And we'll, we'll see that come to life. Or I'll make you go to HEB and, and remember when they were making people stand outside in the heat? You may not have been complaining here, but you probably were. <laughs> right? So when's the last time you washed your heart? Give me that song too. I think it was. The second song. And so, um, it's not too late for you to throw your hands up and surrender. I'm going to read this verse from you from Joel. Remember the, the theme tonight was return to me. And I'm sure we all got business to do with God. And I'm going to let you do it privately while, while, while Lester prays. Because just like tonight, the youth are having an afterglow and they're doing business with the Lord too. And part of the afterglow is actually confessing sin and praying. And, and it's important that we do that. This is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Beautiful verse. It says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Does God have all your heart? With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. If you're here and you go, I don't have anything to pray for, pray for Beirut. If you're here and you don't have anything to pray for, pray for Portland. Guys, we need to get to the, the, the point of where we understand that we're living in a world that needs us right now to be the salt and the light. And so where you're at, I'm going to let you just, you, get, you can do business, just you and the Lord. Y'all can pray together. If you're couples, your husband and wife, y'all can pray together. Uh, if you want to move and pray with someone, you can do that. But that's, that's just how we're going to close out tonight. 
and then I'll, we'll do this song and then we'll, we'll pray after and we'll close it out. from the end. 
Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with all your fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Father God, I come before you tonight, and I pray for each person here, Lord. I pray that you just do a mighty work in their lives. You know, the whole purpose of us being here is to worship you, to hear your word and actually apply it. The washing of the heart. Lord knows we don't do it enough as Christians. And we ask for forgiveness of that, Lord. I pray for the marriages that are represented here, the families. Pray for this congregation. Lord, we look at 2020 and we just say, man, it's, I've heard people say, can we just have 21 already? But Lord, you are doing a work in our lives. You're waking us up. Lord, let us hear that alarm. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us go out and share it to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Father God, I pray if there's anybody here that's hurting financially that you'd be with them. Especially if they're trying to find work or... There's just so much going on in the world, Lord. And if we just turn to you, It's so easy to get lost in the things of this world. Spend all our time on our phones or... Doing things we're not supposed to be doing. And Lord, as a nation, we ask for forgiveness. We have committed sin in this country. To think that we actually did business with a country that doesn't even believe in God. China. That they're locking up Christians and persecuting them. Forgive us of that, Lord. Forgive us for not standing with Israel when we should have. Forgive us of racism because it is a sin. To hate our brother, that's, it goes against God's word. For the division that we've created. The evil and the way the enemy's just had his way. Father God, we pray and ask for forgiveness, Lord, as a nation. For the abortions.
As Jeremiah said, it pains. It pains us. For those that have lost loved ones for COVID, because that has happened. Father God, we, we, we just come before you and just ask, Lord, that we would just, just wash our hearts as a nation. Cleanse us. Don't let us be like Judah. It's almost like we're watching what's going to happen to America if we don't wake up and sound. That alarm is sounding. We're supposed to return to God. And that includes the church. Father God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you so much for those that are watching online and for those that are here. Uh, me and Lester will be here if y'all need prayer for anything, man. We'll, we'll gladly pray with y'all. And um, we thank you so much, man, for your word. Lord, we thank you for what it does as it cleanses us. And, and I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that's hurting tonight, strengthen them, encourage them. If they're dealing with any kind of fear or even online, if you're dealing with that, we ask, Lord, that, that you would strengthen them and be with them. We thank you so much. We pray for the youth. Lord, do a mighty work in their life. They're the next generation of the church. And, and, and Lord, where we have failed, let them, let them stand fast for you, Lord. And wake us up because the war is coming. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.